thank you, Leslie, for agreeing to be on my show. <laughs> I'm delighted to be here to spend some time with you and to spend some time with your listeners. Thank you. Awesome. To set the scene, would you like to give us a little bit of information about yourself and then a brief overview of what it is that you do? Sure. Thank you. So I've spent most of my life living in Cape Town. I um, was married. My husband passed in 2008. I've got a daughter who I'm blessed to say it's her 27th birthday today. So we're going out to celebrate a little later today. So that's always oh, happy exciting. Birthday. <laughs> I will. Thank you. Yeah. And so what happened was I spent most of my working career working for a major financial services industry company, one of the big four banks. I retired from there in March 2019. But for the longest time, from about 2008, I found myself on a journey of coaching. Um, it started very unintentionally, but it just grew and grew and grew. And since 2008, I have been coaching people. As I came up to the point where my retirement was imminent, I started actively planning a post-retirement career. And I set about getting all the necessary certifications, setting up my business so that when the retirement came, I thought I could transition easily. During the course of my life, as I said, I spent 40 years or so living in Cape Town. We then moved to Port Elizabeth with the said bank and I set up a, a centre there for drafting of walls. And yeah, it was in Port Elizabeth that my husband passed and then Kendra and I moved up to Joburg in 2013. So we're fairly new in the Joburg space and everywhere we go, that's not in our immediate area, it's quite an adventure. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's quite interesting. You're landing up in the strangest places in Joburg and you have absolutely no idea where you are. Sometimes you don't even realize it's Joburg because Joburg, Midrand and Pretoria have all kind of grown into one recently. hundred percent. And I had to go down to Edenvale the other day. It felt like I was going on a you know, I mean, in the world of lockdown, where you're kind of restricted to your space, going to Edenvale, it's like a 45-minute drive, but it felt like I was going on holiday. It was wonderful. <laughs> yeah, so I started coaching, and then, you know, I knew I wanted to transition into coaching. I was not, however, prepared for the emotional consequences of the retirement. I found myself in a position of having to reassess everything. I thought, you know, I had planned this amazing transition. I'd leave one day and I would be an ex-person in the bank with X kind of position in the hierarchy doing X, Y, Z. And the next day I would be this coach and I would be doing that. Well, yeah, my brain didn't play games with me. And it was a tough kind of six month transition actually. And the biggest thing that I had to go and revisit was really two things. First of all, my values. My values all of a sudden had changed. Now, I'm not sure whether you know, but our values change as we move through each chapter of our life. Yeah. So for argument's sake, when you're 16, your values are around your peers and being accepted. When you're in your mid-20s and now suddenly you've got a baby, your values are all around the baby. So as each of our chapters unfold, so our values unfold. And knowing this theoretically and actually experiencing it, two different things. So aligned to the value change was the identity change. I had for so long been in kind of management levels of, at different levels of, 
of the organization. And now I was no longer a manager or a leader and I no longer had anybody to lead. And who was I now? And that was a real six-month journey of discovery. And it made me realize just how important the fundamentals of understanding what your values are and who you are at your core when you strip away all the mother, daughter, sister, you know, kind of labels. Yeah. yeah. Who are you at your core and at your essence? Yeah. So I started the company officially in 2017. But as I said, I've been coaching for a lot longer than that. So how do you kind of define your values and that kind of thing? Because there's a very trite saying, and I have to laugh when my mom hears this saying, she's like, well, why don't you just look in the mirror? You have to find yourself. And I feel like it's really been overused. And I don't know if it's maybe lost its meaning somewhere along the way and that kind of thing. And I I would imagine that it's kind of relating back to your value system and knowing who you are and what makes you tick and all that kind of thing. But with the kind of triteness that has become the same, it's kind of you, you look on social media and everyone's like trying to travel and go backpacking through Europe and all that to find themselves. Not everyone can do that and it's not always necessary. So with a little bit of introspection, I would imagine that's how you kind of determine your your values how would you suggest that somebody who is going through some kind of transition actually sits down and and figures out exactly who they are for for lack of a better term how they find themselves (laughs) and Megan find the whole find yourself question for me it's a, a question that one needs to address in a time and a space of of calm you can't in the middle of chaos try and do this inner work You need to create space around you, switch off your technology and sit down and introspect. Mm. It's all about going inside. So for me, it's about your life demonstrates your values. You just haven't recognized them. So for argument's sake, the things that you do in your part time, the things that you do to make you happy, the things that you do that fill up that proverbial cup of our soul. Those are the things that are the gateways to our values. So those are the things that we call the means values, which are the values that get you to your real values. They're like the vehicles that get you to understanding what your value is. So for argument's sake, I always say to my clients, I want you to sit down and make a list of the 50 things that make you most happy, make you most happy and are the most important to you. Once we have that list, we then go through a journey of unpacking what that list actually means. So let me give you an example out of my own world. Shopping is not something I enjoy. And the reason (laughs) I don't enjoy it is I have been mugged a couple of times when I was living in Cape Town. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So I, I have an issue with people walking behind me because I was mugged from behind. Okay. So It doesn't limit my life, but it's an awareness that I have of people who are walking behind me. So I don't go into shopping mall. But my daughter simply has to say, Mom, I'm off tomorrow. I want to go to the big shopping center nearby. Do you want to come with me? I'm there like a shot. Not because I want to go shopping or not because it's an opportunity to spoil her, but it's an opportunity for me to connect with her. Connection is one of my top three values, as is learning and teaching. So I learn to teach 
And that brings me connection. Those are my top three values. Now, my life is demonstrating my value of connection. When she phones me and says, mom, come shopping with me, I'm there. But I have to plan and drag myself shopping if I want to go anywhere by myself. So it's the things that your life demonstrates. So we need to sit down. We need to get calm. We need to understand what it is that our life demonstrates. The important thing is once we know and understand what our values are. And listen, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite values determinator is on John D. Martini's website. Either his book, Finding Your Values. I'm not sure. Value Factor is what it's called. John D. Martini. He takes you through an entire program of understanding your values, understand how it affects your life. So to your listeners, go and get John Martini's The Value Factor. Do that exercise. Take that time to go inside because the world is not going to show you this. People around you are not going to tell you. You need to go inside. You need to understand it. Amazing thing happens the minute you've worked out what your values are. All of a sudden, life becomes uncomplicated because when you... So when I'm training... Um, that's another thing I do is I train coaches. So when I'm training, I explain to my coaches, I'm going on holiday. All right. The first question that you get asked when you say you're going on holiday is where you're going. Because if I was saying now, as you know, I'm in Joburg, which is a, a landlocked city. And if I say I'm going on holiday by boat, there's no ways I can go by boat from Johannesburg to wherever I want to go. I first have to go to a coastal town and then jump onto a boat. So until you know what the destination is, life is very complicated. But once you understand your values and once you understand your identity, that inner identity, not all the labels that you're wearing, your destination becomes clear. And you can then start a journey towards that destination. If you don't know what that destination is, what happens is, let's imagine we're driving down the road and all of a sudden we hit a detour and we travel along the detour and now at the end of this detour is the T-junction that says, turn left to one place and turn right to the other. If you don't know where you're going, you stand a 50-50 chance of taking the wrong turn off. If you know where you're going, then you'll take the right turn off and you'll head back onto the main road and the course of your journey. If you don't, you could land up going thousands of miles off course. Very similarly, an airplane pilot takes off, he presses, presses autopilot, and the aircraft does kind of like a cat. It does this. Two to 3,000 times between here and London, keeping it on course. Now, if that aircraft autopilot wasn't there, the pilot would have to do it. And he would have to know that they're going to London. Otherwise, he could land up anywhere in the globe. <laughs> and this is why people who are so lost are just searching for that next shiny object. The next thing that is going to be the one thing that is going to solve every problem there. All they need to do is slow down, go inside, see what their life demonstrates, see who they are, see what their destination is. Because once you know what the destination is, life becomes calm. Because your decisions become very unemotional, actually. So instead of pondering for six weeks about a should or shouldn't I decision, it's only one question you ask. Is this getting me closer to my visions, to my goals, to my destination? If the answer is yes, do it. If the answer is no, don't. And so life becomes so much calmer. It becomes more ordered. It becomes more expected. It becomes more determined rather than being, oh, let me see what life throws at me today. So yeah, for me, it's all about starting. It's, look, values and your identity is not going to solve everything. 
But for me, it's the foundation of where to start. Yeah. Now, speaking of identity and and values and so on, COVID-19 has obviously had a massive impact on personal lives in general, but also on the business landscape. And obviously many jobs are being lost. Businesses are having to close their doors. Obviously, regardless of COVID-19, there's also in every business, there are challenging times, you know, which see restructures and closure and that kind of thing. Dealing with something like that as a business owner or an employee is obviously extremely emotional, especially as a business owner, your, your identity kind of becomes intrinsically intertwined with your business and it becomes a part of you. So what advice can you give to people who are currently sitting in this position and facing a, like a rather uncertain future? You know, we are seeming to move out of this whole lockdown situation, but the, the landscape has been irreversibly changed in my opinion. So how would someone deal with that uncertainty? Perhaps from a, a values perspective, finding your values may not necessarily give you uh, what you need right now. Really good question. And I, I think that the reality is, and I totally agree with you, COVID has changed the world forever. We will never get back to where we were. The world will never be the same. I think the other reality is COVID is here to stay. COVID is not going to be gone in a couple of months' time. The legacy of COVID will always remain. And sustainability in a changing in world is key. Flexibility is absolutely key. And the ability to pivot has proven in this time to be the number one success factor. So it's that flexibility and the the ability to change your direction. So let me give you an example of this, if I may. You know, outside the motor garages, the petrol stations, you see those those kind of wobbly balloon men things. Oh, yeah, the the, the flying men, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you know, they they kind of float all over the place. Those things don't fly away because they are very carefully grounded and rooted in their engines and things that keep them in the one place that they are. So they have a very solid foundation. Based on that solid foundation, they then have the flexibility to be able to move. As the wind moves, they move. And for me, that is going to be the key to success in business going forward. To be really rooted in your company, what your company stands for, what your current product range is, and understanding how your business serves your market. Understanding who your market is. Understanding clearly the purpose of your business. And the purpose of your business is not there to make money. What is the purpose of your business from your client's perspective? Why are they buying from you and not from your competitors? Once you understand that, then you can turn around and say, okay, in this COVID-19 and future world, what products can I bring in, invent, design, create, sell? How do I pivot my business? So let us take for argument's sake, a coaching, my coaching practice. All right. So in my world, I have always coached online. So COVID hasn't made an awful lot of difference in my world. But there are colleagues of mine who had an entire face-to-face business. They had office premises set up. They had PAs. They had all sorts of things. And all of a sudden, they were in a mess because now people can't come to them. Those that quickly realized that they could turn their business and go online are fine. Those that are sitting waiting for the lockdown to end, they're losing their businesses because they're not available to their public, to their customers. Other coaches are. 
So those customers are not prepared to wait for them. Those customers are looking for new service providers. So it's all about pivot in this world. And if you haven't pivoted your business yet, there is still time. This COVID-19 people are not going to be buying the way they used to. They're not going to be shopping. They're not going to be um, out and about like they used to. I mean, I think of my daughter's restaurant now, for argument's sake. Their restaurant on the 26th of March hard closed down. Well, of course, yes. All the restaurants did, right? Every one of them. There are restaurants that today have not opened. And we're now pretty much the 26th of September, six months later. But what the business owner of of my daughter's restaurant did was realized that she could do what she does, produce amazing food differently. They quickly got an essential services license and they produced frozen meals. And they got out to their customer base and said, listen, you can't come and sit with us. But we know and we understand that you don't want to be cooking. Here's a menu. Order and we will bring it to you. And now as the business is starting to, to, to get its feet again, the customers are coming back and they're sitting down and you're instead of a table next door, you like three meters away from the next table. That's fine. But their frozen business section is now stronger than the customer-based section of their business. So that business has sustained simply by virtue of the fact, this is what I do, how do I do it differently? COVID-19 is going to be COVID-20 next year. It's going to be COVID-21. The annual winter flu that we get is now going to look like COVID, in my opinion. So I do think that the world is going to struggle with this for many years to come. This is not going to be gone. It's going to come back. We're going to have more spikes and we're going to find that We're going to go back into lockdown, not those strict lockdown rules we had right at the beginning. But I think human movement is going to be restricted for some time yet. So so as a business owner, if you're waiting to do the same stuff you did, pretty much I'm going to say to you, your business is going to fail. You've got to find a way to meet your client where your client is at. And your client at the moment is at home. Client is at not going to spend an awful lot of time and money in the stores, in restaurants, got to find a different way to do it. Now, for businesses, like I said before, often the the self-worth of the business owner is intrinsically linked to the success of the business. So if a business fails, there's a risk that a business owner views themselves as a failure as well, even though there could be extenuating circumstances. I mean, maybe, you know, using your example, you tried going the frozen foods route or you, you turned your, your restaurant into a, a delivery takeaway type of venture, but there were still these extenuating circumstances that were outside of your control and the business had to close. When we think of business owners, do you have any practical tips on how to de-link from failure and bounce back? Yes, definitely. So it is proven that successful business owners are very comfortable in a world of uncertainty where nothing is predictable. They tend to be able to move quite quickly, change direction quite quickly. Okay. If you as a business owner is sitting in the place of, of certainty, so let me just address that. Certainty doesn't exist. Certainty is a man-made concept that we believe we create the certainty. I'm going to go and work for this corporate job because my job is certain. Well, no, it's not because they can retrench you tomorrow. I'm going to marry this man because he's got lots of money. Well, he could lose his that all tomorrow. The only thing that is certain in our world is in fact uncertainty. So as a business owner, if you can embrace the uncertainty 
and allow yourself to be in a position where you can turn around and say, this thing didn't work. What have I learned? I'm not a failure because it didn't work. What did I learn? How can I tweak it? And how can I try it again? Thomas Edison famously said, I didn't fail at inventing the light bulb. I just learned, some people say 999 reasons. I just earned a hang of a lot of reasons of how not to invent the light bulb. But he kept trying. He kept being persistent. He kept tweak, 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 tweak. Our continuous fine changes. Try it again. Didn't work. Tweak, 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 try it again. Eventually, what happened is he got to a root that started showing results. So he knew he could forget about all of that. He then focused on this root that was getting him the results. Tweak, tweak, try again. Oh, made it better. Tweak, tweak, try again. Oh, not so good. Tweak, tweak, try again, make it better. You've got to be willing to experiment. You've got to be willing to be uncertain. Now, the business owner, yes, especially those business owners who have created the business on the back of their skill and ability, but it has to be a journey of growth for them as well. If they are going to turn around and say, I am my business, the problem is that if they die, that business will die with them. So the best thing for the business owner to do is start growing that business bringing in people to support them, they then move on to working to grow the business rather than to run the business. So when they start that process, then they start detaching from the business. Mm -hmm. But for as long as they see themselves as the business, they're actually handcuffing that business. They're actually holding that business hostage. So it is critically important that they can bring people in, good people, yes, absolutely, to start taking over aspects of the business so the business can run, so that they can carry on to do what they're really good at. So a couple of weeks ago, I was dealing with a man who created a business. He was a salesman, and he created this really, really, really great business. And he found himself, and, and he was terribly frustrated, and he was going down a route of depression. And he found himself in a position where he hated getting up every morning. When we unpacked it, we realized that what he in fact hated was the thing that he had allowed this business to become. He'd allowed this business to be a noose around his neck and it was literally kind of strangling him. The minute he realized that he could give up the parts of the business that didn't fit with his values, didn't fit with his identity, didn't make him the man that he was, he could go and be the amazing salesman. So in his case, the solution was, Let's get a VA, a virtual assistant. You pay her for the number of hours or him the number of hours they work and you go off and sell and focus on selling while other people start running your business. Yeah. And for business owners, that's a really hard pivot point because it brings in people who you now need to start relying on. Because if you don't, you're restricting the growth of the business because as a single person, you can't do it all. You can't service everybody the way that you want to service them. So this man is dealing with deals kind of in the 70, 75, 80,000 random mark region. And on average, it's taking him six to eight hours to close those deals. But if he's having to do all the work of the business as well, he doesn't have that six to eight hours. 
So he wasn't closing those businesses. And because he wasn't servicing those clients, he was losing them. And so it's so important for the business owners to come back and say, it is my business and ultimately I am accountable. But if I want to grow this business, I need to make some strategic decisions. I need to be able to let go of some aspects and put the right people in and pay them. And when you do that, you free the business to grow, to start earning more money. But until the business owner is able to turn around and say, I'm not the only person on the planet that can do this and get somebody else in. And in so doing, move themselves away from that concept, I am my business. And then when they say, I'm, I'm no long, I am no longer, my business has grown to the point where, you know, it's like a teenager, right? We have teenagers in our homes. If we treat the teenager the same way that we treated the six-year-old, those teenagers will never come up to be adults. So as a teenager grows, as a parent, we have to kind of give them room, give them space, give them air, and allow them to make their mistakes so that they can learn. And as business owners, we have to do the same thing. As our business is growing, we've got to give it the air. We've got to give it the space. We've got to give it the fundamentals to be able to grow. Otherwise, we create a ceiling for the business beyond which it can't grow. Yeah. And that ceiling becomes the business owner. I don't know if I made that clear. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> you did. Thank you. <laughs> so obviously, there's a fine line between making decisions for the business and for you on a personal level. And it kind of boils down to learning when to say yes and when to say no. And many books have been written by prominent businessmen. Uh, I think Richard Branson has got one called Screw It, Let's Do It. And these books just kind of push the point of accepting whatever comes through the door. And I must say, even in personal lives, I, I think we've kind of been bred as a Western culture to never say no like you always say yes even if it's something you really don't want to do and that obviously puts you in a rather difficult position no matter what the circumstance but especially in business how do we as business owners and human beings learn to differentiate between things we should say yes to so to, we don't miss like a golden opportunity and the things we should definitely say no to. Because again, you speak to business people, they say, just say yes, just say yes, take on projects and that kind of thing. But sometimes it's not your inability to be able to perform the task or, or deliver on the project, but it's just there are circumstances or you don't want to work with that particular person. And so how do you clarify that gray area? When do you say yes and when do you say no? Very, very, very important question. When to say no. And I think in an individual situation, I'll, I'll talk about the business owner separately. In the individual, so when you know who you are, when you know what your holiday destination is or your life destination, you know what your values are, you can easily turn around and say, I can say yes to this, but is it going to serve me? So let me give you an example. I am not good with filing. I'm not good with admin. <laughs> you're not the only one <laughs> it is not something that inspires me it is not something that motivates me it doesn't float my boat so if somebody says to me leslie i've got this project that i really want to give you to do i'm going to pay you a shed load of money to do it can you fix out my two years worth of filing i'm going to say no because i might do it really well for the first week or two after that i'm bored i've lost motivation it doesn't align with who I am mm. and therefore it becomes an easy no. So in the same way that, so Richard Branson says, 
say yes and then work out how. And I want to put a caveat onto that. Provided it aligns with either your personal or business goals and purpose and direction, say yes and then work out how. If it doesn't, say no. So let me go for something ridiculous to prove my point. So let us say that you run a catering business and somebody comes along to you and says, I've got this job. I'm going to pay you millions of rands. I want you to build a bridge. It's an easy no, because as a caterer, you're not an engineer. So it becomes an easy no, even though what you could do is you could say yes and go and employ the engineers to do it. But because it doesn't align with your values, the person you are, your natural talents and gifts, you're not going to succeed at it. And therefore, for me, it's about saying Yes to every opportunity that comes to you that is aligned or maybe not totally aligned, but kind of 80, 90% aligned. Because if it's not aligned, you're not going to succeed at it. And you don't want to start something that you know in your gut is you should be saying no to because that gut is your subconscious saying, this is not the right one. And I think if people learn to listen to their intuition, they learn to listen to their gut, they learn to listen to the messages, their lives would be so much more fulfilled. Mm. So what is procrastination? If you ask a teenager who is an IT guy who loves playing his, his computer games, I want you to go and spend three hours playing computer games. You don't have to ask him twice. (laughs) He's there. And after those three hours, he's going to say to you, no, I'm not finished yet. Leave me alone. (laughs) You ask that same teenager to go and spend three hours tidying up his bedroom. He's going to lie on his bed. He's going to whip out a magazine. He's going to whip out his phone. He's going to do whatever he can find to do not to clean his bedroom. As humans, we're exactly the same. Ask us to do something that is totally within our wheelhouse, that our gifts and talents, and I'm not saying you can't learn new ones, but the stuff that we generally love and we're passionate about, there's never any procrastination there. So one has to ask the things that you're procrastinating about, why are you procrastinating about them? And nine times out of 10, it's because they're not aligned with who you are. They're not aligned with the journey that you're on. And just maybe shouldn't be doing that. Now, how do you say no? Because saying no is a practiced skill, especially like I say, we've been bred to say yes to everything. Saying no is almost like a taboo thing. When, especially in the business context, you know, you don't want to lose a client or damage a potentially rewarding relationship by saying no. Uh, I mean, if you've got a client that's giving you business up the wazoo, and they ask you to do something that you really don't want to do. You don't want to say no and then, you know, potentially lose the the other business that they've been giving you. So how do you say no? How do you develop the skill of saying no in the the kindest way possible, but, you know, remaining firm? Because, again, a lot of people, you say no to them and they're like, but, and that kind of wears you down. Um, you know, you're always trying to find a way, well, maybe if I just dedicate two hours to this project and it ends up taking two weeks of your time when you knew that was going to happen and you should have said no and you resent yourself, you resent the the project and you start resenting the client. So how, how do you say no? For me, I think it's really important to stand with two feet in two different camps. 
The first camp is you need to be authentic about who you are. You need to be authentic with your client. You need to be honest with your client and say, listen, that is not where I'm good. My skills do not lie in this area. Okay. So I can say yes, but I know that there are people who can do a much better job at this piece than me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be a really good service to you and I'm going to get my friend George, who is an expert in this world, to contact you and to help you sort this piece out. So you're not saying no, flat out, no, go away, leave me alone, because that's not serving the client. Serving the client is solving his problem. He's got a problem, he needs it solved. He's come to you because he thinks you can solve it. If you can, if you can't, be honest. Not my skill, not my field of expertise, but I'm going to solve your problem by referring you to somebody who, whose expertise lie in that space and who will do a much better job than me. So I think the first thing is admitting you don't want to do it, admitting why you don't want to do it, being authentic and honest with your client, and then finding an alternate way for the client to solve the problem. Yeah. Don't just leave the client dangling because he will go to your opposition. So for me, what I found in my world of coaching, I don't coach everybody. Over the years, I've honed my skill. I have a client. I don't do relationship coaching, not my wheelhouse, okay? But I've built a network around me of people who do. So when I get somebody who comes to me as a brand new client, my first session with a client is always a free session because although they say to me, this is the problem, underneath that problem hides a myriad of stuff yeah. that needs to be sorted out. And when you sort out the problems, the supposed problem becomes null and void. I'm sorry. I believe you need some relationship coaching. I'm not a relationship coach. But my friend Dawn is. And Dawn is really good. She's had amazing results. Can I ask Dawn to contact you? And I've never had a client say no. And many of those clients that I've referred away come back to me again. Because now, Leslie, thank you very much. That really helped. Now I'm struggling with this, this, and this. And then I say, okay, that's in my wheelhouse. I can help you, you know. Um, it's, it's like going to a dentist and asking a dentist to deliver a baby. <laughs> I mean, practically he can, but he's not going to do as good job about it as a gynae would. And it's exactly the same thing. It's understanding where do you specialize and understanding that you're not serving the client by doing stuff that you don't specialize. In. Unless, of course, it's a new area you want to start specializing in. Then that's a different discussion. But routinely stick to what you're good at. If you say yes to stuff that you're not good at, all that's going to happen is you're going to be unhappy. You're going to frustrate the client. It's going to start damaging your reputation in the industry. Cool. I am very cognizant of your time. I know we've both got meetings that we have to rush into um, after this. So I'm going to end off with the quick fire round quickly. Uh, five quick questions. You can go as in-depth as you would like to with the answer. So question one, define success. In my world, success is anything that helps me meet my top three values. Gives me an opportunity to learn something. Gives me an opportunity to teach. And teach in my world means coach as well. And to create connection. So anything that, that aligns with that means success for me. I don't believe there is a global definition of the word success. I think everybody needs to define what success means to them so that they can measure success in what they do. You know, 
take Tony Robbins, who's one of the leaders, worldwide leaders in my industry. Tony Robbins doesn't get out of bed to see a client for under a million rand, you know. In his world and in his space, that's his level of success. Now, if I was shooting for that where I'm standing, I'd fail every day. But if I'm shooting for what I consider to be success, I will achieve that success. So for me, success is how do you define success? Interesting answer. I love asking people that question. <laughs> Second question, uh, how do you usually start your day? Is there a specific routine that you believe contributes to setting up a successful day? And could you walk um, us through that routine? Absolutely. If, you're, if you start your day in the wrong state or in the wrong frame of mind, your day is just going to go downhill from there. So I tend to get up do a couple of things, feed my furries, and then I actually get back into bed and I spend half an hour doing nothing. I just let my mind wander. I let it go. I let it, I just make sure that it's not going into a negative space. I stop that, but I let it wander. And I find that that half an hour becomes a problem solver. When I allow my brain to just go wherever it goes, think about yesterday, think about today, think about tomorrow, whatever it's doing, it comes up with problems that I'm wrestling with. But because I've, I mean, you don't have to get back into bed. I just choose in this coldness to get back into bed. <laughs> um, in the summertime, I tend to go and sit out in my garden and I do the same thing. I just be calm, be still, be. Um, it, then I go into a time of reading, whatever I'm reading at the moment. Um, I do a little bit of, you know, so that sort of contemplation time is my meditation time. And yeah, then I, you know, I just make sure that I have a good, healthy breakfast. Um, I hydrate well, you know, and then I sort of start getting into my day. The one thing I do want to suggest to your listeners is understand your energy patterns. All right. Now, there's a lot of work that's been done and it's freely available to Google. And if anybody wants, I don't want to use this as a platform to talk about that. Of course. But understand where in your day you're at good energy and when you're at low energy. Mm -hmm. So for me, in the early mornings, I'm at good energy. Then around midday through to three o'clock in the afternoon, my energy is down. And then kind of five, six, seven o'clock, my energy starts peaking. And I traditionally go to bed at about midnight. So I wake, so my pattern kind of rolls most days from seven to midnight. There are other people who easily get up at five o'clock and are in bed by half past seven because that's how their day, that's how their energy rolls. No right, no wrong. Understand when your energy is at its peak and plan to do the things that you struggle with when you've got high energy. Mm. Plan to do the things that you do easily and you just kind of sail through when your energy is low. Mm. That way over the day, you become much more efficient. That's great advice. Thank you. If all the books, because now you've mentioned that you read, so um, if all the books in the world had to spontaneously combust except for one, what would that book be? John D. Martini's The Value Factor, cool. for sure. It is such a pivotal book. It was pivotal in my world, and it's been that whole idea of understanding your values. And John D. Martini has a very interesting theory. He says the things that you value today are created by previous lacks in your life. So in areas where, so if you have a relationship where, say, your, your, your spouse doesn't spend time with you, for argument's sake, the next relationship you're going to look for somebody who will spend time with you because you have a need for that connection. Yeah. 
So the things that we value today are, are gaps, voids, he calls them, from our past. Whether it be a childhood past, a teenager past, a young adult, doesn't matter. They are gaps that we desire to fill. And then you get into a relationship and the partner that you, you, you're with really does focus on you and he fills that gap. You then create a new gap, something new, because this relationship now might be short in a different area. Yes. So you've ticked the box for connection, but now this relationship is short in something else. That then becomes a driving need. So yeah, the values factor for me is is probably one book that if I could have 150,000 copies and just give them to everybody, I would. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <laughs> what do you do when you're not working on your business? Um, so because I spend so much of my day with people um, online or in the real world face-to-face, when I'm not working, I am peopled out. I need need alone time. I need to introspect. I love being at home. I'm very blessed to have a home with a garden that I can just go and sit in and listen to the birds. So for me, it's it's not about TV. It's not about anything else. It's just about quiet, just taking time to be quiet, to recharge and, and just make sure that my life is good, you know, and, and take an audit, do a stock take every now and again, and just make sure that I'm doing what makes me happy and so that I can get rid of the things that are not. Well, I mean, having that quiet time is also the best time to do all this kind of introspection as well. So um, if you don't have any quiet time in your life, it's, I don't know, to me, that creates a bit of an unbalanced situation. But the thing is that if you schedule your quiet time and you do it on purpose, what actually happens is you then do it guilt-free. So I schedule what I call a pajama day. (laughs) Now, a pajama day is when I get up and I don't get dressed into clothes. I get dressed into pajamas. (laughs) The interesting thing happens is for so many years, my brain has been patterned, get up, get dressed, go to work. So when I now get up, get dressed, my brain wants to go to work. And I want to pull out my laptop and I want to get busy doing stuff. So to break that pattern, I get up, get dressed into pajamas because my brain says, oh, these are pajamas. We're not going out today. We were having a TV day. We're doing this. We're not working. And therefore I get to do my downtime guilt-free. Awesome. (laughs) You see, my brain would say you got dressed. It doesn't matter what you got dressed into. The fact is you got up and you got changed. And especially now with COVID, uh, doing everything um, digitally, people have that COVID outfit where they, they kind of okayish on the top and you don't want to see what's below the, the screen. So, yeah, my, my brain then, would just be, you yeah. got dressed. So Yeah, and the, the problem with that, Megan, is that the brain hasn't bought into the I'm working. So when you're dressed from the waist up, you're not really working. Mm. You're putting on a show. So the brain then is not... I'm in work mode and it focuses. If, however, you were sitting behind the same camera wearing smart pants and shoes rather than slippers, the brain says, hello, I recognize this state. I'm working. I may not be working at my desk in my office, at the office that I used to travel in the traffic to go to, but there's a space in my home where there's my desk that I work from. Mm. I get dressed and I go to work. 
make sure that I work in the same space in my home every day. So my brain is still transitioning from being at home to going to work. So that pattern that you've built up for so long is still working. Yeah. Whereas if you go and today you work in the garden under the tree on the left and tomorrow you go and you sit next to the tree on the right, on the steps on the grass, your brain is struggling because your brain's saying, okay, so what am I doing now? <laughs> yeah. And focus becomes difficult. Your brain is a thing of patterns. It is driven by patterns. So when you're working from home, create your space, get dressed, get up, show up, be focused. Yeah. I find if I don't start work by a specific time, like seven, then I struggle to focus for the rest of the day because, you know, I haven't, that's my, if I start working by seven, I'm going to have a super productive day. If I start working at eight, I've already lost that hour and my mind's already, my mind's gone. So, And that's the patterning because if you haven't, so seven o'clock is start work time. So if you don't start work by seven o'clock, I mean, it's, the brain is a really simple thing. If you start work by seven o'clock, I know it's Monday or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So these are work days. Okay. If you haven't started working and I'm taking like a corporate scenario. Right? So if you haven't started working by seven o'clock, well, maybe it's Saturday or Sunday. Now I'm not quite sure. Is this an off day or is this a work day? I'm not sure because my pattern that gets you. So remember, <laughs> What the brain does is with your morning pattern, it starts a process of transitioning from being home to work. So everything that you do in the morning is part of the transition to get you to work. Up, get dressed, take a shower, have breakfast, have coffee, grab the car keys, get into the car, drive to work. It's a pattern that you repeat every day. And it starts getting the brain from being at home into work mode. So now we're doing the same thing at home. We need to have a pattern in the morning which is why that morning routine is so important, that gets us to work. And if you have a slightly different pattern on the non-working days, even better, because the brain knows this is a non-working day. This is a working day. Today I have to focus. Today I don't. <laughs> Final question. If you could impart one piece of advice to your 20-year-old self, what would it be? Great question. Great question. <laughs> I remember sitting at high school around, you know how girls always do at high school, sitting on the quad in a circle and all chatting about stuff. And at the age of, oh, it was in those days, the old standard six, which is today grade eight. And I rem that's a vision that is so clear. I am going to be a teacher. When I left school, I went and studied to be a teacher. But the fatal mistake that I made was I chose little children. <laughs> and if those who know me would throw their hands in their end, put their heads underneath and say, no, I'm not a kid's person. So it didn't work. So what I did was straight out of school, I went to college for two years failed miserably at it and instead of turning around saying okay this is not working why is it not working oh because it's the age group i then went off into the financial services industry and i spent 40 years in the financial services industry but when i look back on those 40 years throughout those 40 years i've always been a teacher i've always been in the position of teaching other people stuff either officially or unofficially and so my natural want to be a teacher, the identity that I am. Remember I said earlier, get, find out who you are. Yeah. What is your identity? I am at my core teacher. Find out who you are and listen 
to those signs and signals. If you do every day what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Find that thing that you love. Take the chance. Be in. Be uncertain. And be happy in the space of uncertainty. I'd like to suggest a slight change on your on your saying. Because I find that people, you know, if you find you love what you do or you, whatever, you'll never work a day in your life. I'd like to just change the, or suggest a change to say, if you find or if you do what you love, the work every day won't feel like work. Because it's still work. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. No, no, absolutely agree. I mean, it is still work. But it's, it will never feel like work because yeah. you, you're playing in the space of your passion. Mm. So your work feels like play. I find that a lot of these uh, kind of cliched sayings that are meant to motivate us, people take them a little too literally. And then yeah. they don't understand that, well, I love doing X, but holy crap, it's still, I have to work so hard at it. So maybe this is not what I'm meant to be doing. And it's kind of like living in the moment as well. People will spend every last cent because you have to live in the moment, but they've taken that saying so out of context. So yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. It, it doesn't mean don't plan for the future and it doesn't mean anything else. It, all, it just means be present in what you're doing. Be in the moment. Be with the people that you're with. And on that yeah. philosophical note, <laughs> where can people find you online? You've got social media. You've got a website. Yeah, I have. So my business website is the letter E, the digit 2, lifecoaching.com, E2 Life Coaching. Facebook page, also E2 Life Coaching. I have my own personal Facebook page. So yeah, message me. Um, let's get in touch. My email address is leslie at e2lifecoaching.com. Get in touch. Let's have a conversation. Costs nothing. Awesome. Um, let's, let's start up a conversation. Perfect. Thanks, Leslie. I'm going to let you go because I see we're getting short on time here. Yes, thank you. I really enjoyed this. And thank you so much for, for taking the time and for uh, giving us a bit of a, a look into your world and uh, the, the, the free advice that you've, you've so generously given. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love, I love, I love this. And, and thank you, Megan, for your um, creating this opportunity for me. Um, I love being in a space where I can share. I can pass on the things that I know. So for me, today has been a blessing and I thank you for that. Oh, it's a big pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Thanks, Sheria. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Follow the Business of Podcast on my website, megamillist.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel at Megamillist. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Megan Darcy, M-E-G-A-N-D apostrophe A-R-C-Y. Chat soon.